0: I'm going to open with a poem by T.K. This is a guy from Michigan. It opens with a quote from uh, Carl Jung. It is often tragic to see how blatantly a person bungles their own life and the life of others, yet remains totally incapable of seeing how much the whole tragedy originates in themselves and how they continually feed it and keep it going. That was Young, and this is TK. My body fell in love with my spirit. Sunlight across interiority. Not all relationships start off easily. Theirs too was complicated. She said, you're a wolf in wolf's clothing, and I am a lamb. I overcame my impulses. She smiled. She said, you're a clay pot. I am an expanse. So I broke myself open on the pavement of my own longing. She took my hand. She said, but you are so concerned with pain and pleasure, gain and loss, being known or being shamed. I am a forgetfulness of the world's desiring. I turned desiring into love and I waited. She kissed my lips. She said, but your mind is like water, disturbed at every breeze. I am a brightness of thick silence. Love made my mind honey, or even a rock dropped in causes no ripple. Yeah, that's one of those mmm kind of lines. Love made my mind honey, or even a rock dropped in causes no ripple. Then our love met in union. My body fell in love with my spirit. And now this moment is their love play. So today I want to talk about the meditation virtues of uncertainty and dreamness, for lack of a better term. But I wanted to start and just say something about patience. Apparently, that's one of the great perfections of of patience. And as we're brought up against ourselves, which we're only ever brought up against ourselves, as we're brought up against ourselves in this container, we may need to call on what's called uh, patience. But patience is something you you don't want to have patience because patience disappears when opposition to experience does. When you're patient, there's that thing you don't like that you're waiting to leave your life. When you're patient, there's a presence you've decided you'd rather not have. It's grating at you. And your patience is a hope based on the truth that eventually it's going to go away. But all the while, it's not intimate. So patience disappears when opposition to experience does. Even experience disappears when opposition to experience does. One of the members of CAN, uh, the great, German rock experiment said, limitation is the greatest catalyst of creativity. So we're brought up against deep beliefs that the universe should be otherwise. And we meet our personal, this shouldn't be happening. We meet that on a, on a deeply fibrous level, our personal, this shouldn't be happening. And I made a distinction yesterday between what we desire to be happening, for example, the beautiful, just world that many of us imagine. We Make a distinction between that personal desire and a deep-seated belief that it shouldn't be happening. Because my deep-seated belief that something shouldn't be happening is a belief that the universe is defective. And the basis of our practice is that the universe is not defective. We don't have anything definitive to say about the universe. But not that we need to agree with what happens. So regarding patience, we want to get to the truth of, I don't want to feel this. That can be an immense barrier. I don't want to feel this. Some under-the-radar decision that the universe should not include this. And I don't know if it's actually different for our Asian forebears in the practice, but we have a Christian heritage that is kind of the basis of how we see things. And in that heritage, you're either good or you're bad. We all want to go to heaven and to avoid hell. We want certainty that we're on the side of the good, and on the right. So we reject what we think is not heaven, but actually, then what happens? Sometimes we have to sit in the intimacy of that rejection to really, really see what it is. During intensive practice, it's Vital that we have an ongoing indifference to the conclusions that we make. The mind snaps shut and perception snaps shut. Mind snaps shut, meanwhile, the world is flowing as it always does, free and open. But mind snaps shut and we relate to the snapped shut mind rather than the flowing world. So the conclusion which is made of calories, electrical impulses, maybe someone else's ideas, I don't know where these things come from, the conclusion about our life or our practice, the person next to us, whatever it is, conclusion snaps us shut. Meanwhile, reality constantly flows. So an indifference to our own conclusions. In a way, that's just first nen. First nen. There's no doubt in the sound of a bird. Your breath is unmistakably exactly what it is i think we can make a conclusion about a burr about a breath but we don't have to some people are more identified with the rational mind than others it seems and for those identified with the rational mind This is suspending a core mode of operation. If we believe we are a thought thing looking out at a world and we've probably done much good, maybe found much success with that thought thing identification looking out at the world, to let go of that as the basis of our identity is pretty scary. So we hear terms like ego, death, or to let the mind die. It could feel like that. Um, A practice image I could give you that at this stage of practice is an expedient means. You know what that means, expedient means? In, in dharma, there are expedient means and they're just um, dharma principles. Dharma principles are always reliable. You can always lean into them. Expedient means is just sometimes you do it. In the right moment, it could be the right medicine. This expedient means is to regard your thinking like a hot potato. Who's ever actually handled a hot potato without tongs? Probably nobody here. Okay, there's a few. Treat them like that kettle that you forgot was still going on the burner. Just just drop Just drop it. Just drop it. Just drop it. Just drop it. Let your mind be like a bucket with no bottom. be frictionless all the way through. What's on the other side makes our clinging to the hot potatoes seem um, actually profoundly sad. So this means you're immersed. You are nestled in your unity. You are nestled in your silence. You are enmeshed in the flow of yourself. And you don't even know it. And you pop out from a thought. And as soon as that happens, don't go into third and end. Just drop it. There's nothing you can think that's worth thinking when you're at this place. It's weird, mind seems to fight against its own rest. If you consider that our minds have a motive to bring us happiness, the evidence that they're confused about that is that they are the obstruction to that goal. That's why this is not a psychological practice that's why thinking can just take us to the beach parking lot and that's about it so we're dealing with uncertainty on one side uncertainty is is terrifying when we stand back from it but when we Sit in uncertainty. It's, It's a source of great vibrancy. It's life itself. I never heard this phrase, but I heard it recently and I love it. The devil you know is better than the devil you don't. I live in the South now. The devil you know is better than the devil you don't. That's conventional mind's logic. But it's actually wrong and we're finding that out. So we face a mistrust of uncertainty. We actually face a mistrust of ourselves. Why do we believe that we must continually plan for the future? Why can't we get from our rooms to the parking lot without all that elaboration? We mistrust uncertainty, we mistrust ourselves, and we mistrust the Dharma. Or the conventional mind mistrusts the Dharma. Here's a koan, I think you all know, that is is and is not about the conventional mind. Two of the, the uh, great luminaries of Zen. Joshu earnestly asked Nansen, What is the Tao? Nansen answered, ordinary mind is the Tao. Joshu asked, should I direct myself towards it or not? What kind of effort do I make? If you try to turn toward it, you go against it, Nansen said. Joshu asked, if I do not try to turn towards it, how can I know it's the Tao? Nansen answered, the Tao does not belong to knowing or not knowing. Knowing is delusion, you could say certainty, certainty, delusion. Not knowing is a blank consciousness. Not talking here about don't know and that beautiful space. Not knowing is a blank consciousness. When you've really reached the true Tao beyond doubt you find it vast and boundless as space. How can it be talked about on a level of right and wrong? And Joshu woke up. There's something about boldness that we engage. We're plunging into uncertainty with our whole bodies we let go. We have to give up the spectator. We have to give up the standing apart from the flow. We have to sacrifice the witness. I was talking earlier about a way we could view the process. The Buddha said to look into motion deeply is liberating. So we start with motion. Breath is motion. Tingling in your chest, motion, thoughts, motion. It's all motion. We enter a a universal way of seeing. Instead of being so interested in the content and what it means, what's arising, we gift ourselves that space when we, I don't know, is it zooming out or zooming in, just simply see it as motion. It's just motion. And then we embody, we inhabit stillness in the midst of that motion. And then when we've nailed that, we let that go too. The iron tree is, um, I made a slight modification to one of the classic koan of the lineage. An iron tree rooted in the sky sways on a windless day. It is not philosophy. You don't try to think about it. But you can feel that image. Like a dream that invites you into its its flavor. Boldness, we have to give ourselves fully. There's something about how the gate stays gated if we do not really put our life on the line. Plunge in with our whole body. This doesn't mean trying harder. There's a fearless willingness to feel. On the edge of deepening, sometimes your heart pounds out of your chest, your breath stops, you break out in a sweat. Great fear rushes through you. You have to be willing to feel what happens as you you sit in this vessel. We consent fully to experience. 0.1% resistance is all it takes for separation. What does the chant say? A hair's breadth? See, old Zen teachers love to talk about hairs. It's ironic, right? Because they weren't very hairy. A hair's breadth discrimination and heaven and earth are sent, sent rent apart. Boldness includes a willingness to be what one is. Just to be what one is. How much energy goes into trying to convince ourselves or other people that we're not what we are. Meanwhile, nobody's watching. Free that energy up. So, I want to talk about um, dreamness. In other words, motion, but from the recognition that motion is mind and mind is motion. So, we call it dreamness. This great teacher were piggybacking on. This was their death poem. Illusory dreams, phantom flowers, 67 years. Granted, this was somebody who, because the culture was refined enough that spiritual people were celebrated on the level of government, this was a national teacher. It's a big country, China. It was big back then. Illusory dreams, phantom flowers, 67 years. A white bird vanishes in the mist. That's Zazen. A white bird vanishes in the mist. Autumn waters merge with the sky. I know some of you are like white birds vanishing in the mist. So the Mahayana teachings encourage us to consider the dreamlike nature of experience. Not really consider it cuz thinking about stuff is fun and interesting. But to through that consideration look closely at the nature of motion. Cosmic vibration Bodhisattva Sunra says in the endless realm, I have nothing, nothing. How really is I am, nothing is mine. How treasured rich I am, I have the treasure of nothing. Vast endless nothing that branches out into realm beyond realm. This and these are mine, together they are nothing. The idea of nothing, the notion of nations, nation, notion, I have the treasure of nothing. All of it is mine. She who would build a magic world must seek my exchange bar in order to partake of my endless treasure from my endless realm of nothing. So the teachings say that life is like a dream. They don't say life is a dream. Actually, Zen doesn't say life is anything. That's Buddhism. For our consideration, life is dreamlike. It's medicine for holding life too tightly. It's medicine for melting finalities. An old teaching says a Zen student is like a hot furnace that snowflakes melt on. Or be like snowflakes melting on a furnace. Goneness each moment. Where did this moment go? Where did this moment go? Where did this moment go? fresh. Where did this moment go? So we inhabit the dreamy, shifting texture of things. Something we might not need to do is try to prevent things from getting misty when we sit. When we begin to let go of fixed perception, things do get shimmery sometimes. They get melty. Everything leaps in together. The moon in the flowing water. Bird song in your heart. Raindrops in your shoulders. It's all Dreaming together, we let that happen. There can be a sense that, oh, I'm supposed to be mindful, good Zen student, pay attention. And then we insert some kind of rigidity to bring things back to the ordinary perception. The crane dreams in the wintry mists. Mind is dreamy. Notice how slippery thoughts are. I realized at one point, without using paper, I can't just think about something. Because I start considering something. I'm on a walk, I wanna think about what I'm gonna do about so and so. And before I know it, my mind's at the food carts. And then it goes to the food carts and it's wondering about the other thing. And it's just going from thing to thing. Mind is so slippery. Notice how slippery thoughts are, how things pop in you feel don't belong to you, how thoughts pop in you don't feel dignified or don't come from the best of you. But mind dreams forth. In a sense, it's a delusion to say, my mind my mind, well, it's the only one I'll ever experience. Dreamness is not to say that waking life is unreal. Dream is not the opposite of waking. This moment is total, there are no opposites. Opposites arise when we sit here and think about how something is different than what's happening. But this moment is just, it's total. It's gone as you point to it, arising fresh. So the dream-like nature of reality is recognizing, in other words, that experience is experience. And there's nothing but experience. There's no like real thing behind the experience of the thing. If you're not there, the tree does not make a sound. You're there, so the tree is there. The tree is there, so you're there. And the more closely we pay attention, the stranger and more elusive. These ideas of you and I and tree and there and here are. There might even be a, a better term than dreamness, just strangeness. Attending closely enough that the strangeness A poem by Denise Levertov called Once Only. Once Only. All which, because it was flame and song and gifted us joy, we thought we'd do be revisit. Turns out to have been what it was that once only. Every initiation did not begin a series a build-up. The marvelous did happen in our lives. Our stories are not drab with its absence. Don't expect now to return for more. Whatever more there will be, will be unique as those were unique. Try to acknowledge the next song, its body halo of flames, as utterly present, as now or never. So, dreamness is not something to um, resist in practice. One can fight against the losing of, of the tight grip and grasp for more solid ground. The spiritual path was never designed It's kind of a foolish thing to say, as if someone sat down and said, hmm, let me design the spiritual path. The spiritual path is not about helping us hold our illusions together or being more effective capitalist soldiers. The spiritual path is designed to undo us. The great undoing, the Chinese zhuan zhue, the great unlearning. The great unlearning. Return to Hongzhi. Okay, and the translator named this passage, Investigating Wonder. In clarity, the wonder exists with spiritual energy shining on its own. It cannot be grasped, and so cannot be called being. It cannot be rubbed away, and so cannot be called non-being. Beyond the mind of deliberation and discussion, depart from the remains of the shadowy images. The shadowy images. One of the koans says, bring me a tree that casts no shadow. That's zazen, that's this moment. Depart from the remains of the shadowy images. Emptying one's self-existence is wondrous. Emptying one's self-existence is wondrous. This wonder is embodied with a spirit that can be invoked. The moon mind with its cloud body is revealed straightforward in every direction without resorting to signs or symbols. We don't need to name it or think about it. We don't need to know what it is. Radiating light everywhere, it responds appropriately to beings and enters the sense dusts without confusion. The rational mind thinks, if I am let go of, the shit's going to hit the fan. If I am let go of, I'll become ineffective and just sit around and meditate for years like Jogan. <laughs> That's just the rational mind. Radiating light everywhere, it responds appropriately to beings and enters the sense dusts without confusion. There's something that our other There's something other than our fearful, certainty-insisting mind that's on our side. It's always on our side. It's always been on our side. Overcoming every obstruction, it shines through every empty dharma. It just is not to be bullshitted. Because bullshit is reference to the past and to the future. It shines through every empty dharma. Leaving discriminating conditioning, enter clean, clear wisdom and roam and play in samadhi. I always think of Chosen Roshi. With that line, enter clean, clear wisdom and roam and play in samadhi. What could be wrong? This is how one must genuinely investigate the essence. And again, Hung death poem. Illusory dreams, phantom flowers, 67 years. A white bird vanishes in the mist. Autumn waters merge with the sky. May it be so.